<laughs> Praise God. Well, you guys know who's coming up. And uh, we're, ready to, we're ready to knock this thing out of the park, huh? Ready to wrap this up. So I just want to welcome Brother Mario Murillo. If he's ready, don't see, he's ready. All right, come on out, brother. Let's put our hands together and welcome Mario Murillo. God bless you. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. I'd like you to stand to your feet if you would and look at me a second. Uh, if what happened the last 30 minutes did not give you excitement, then you do not need a blessing, you need a resurrection. You know, this is like Lazarus come forth. What a word, what a word, what a word. I'm gonna say it again. What a word, what a word. Yeah. How many of you ever been tired? Look at me, ever been tired? Remain on your feet. How many of you really been tired? You raised both hands and a leg, I was tired. One night I was tired and a man walked up to me and he said, brother, I have a problem. Well, I'm not a good counselor when I'm rested. <laughs> and I closed my eyes and I looked at him and I said, are you going to hell? You know, I like to get to the bottom line. <laughs> I said, are you going to hell? He said, no, I'm saved. I said, and you ain't got a problem. <laughs> now I'm, I'm looking for an amen. Once, you have, once you've answered the hell question, pretty much it's all downhill. But we have forgotten the joy of our salvation. Sometimes we need to understand that moment that we were saved. I read the diary of a combat soldier, great writer, and he described what it is like to be in combat in a firefight. You know, some firefights last for hours. And what does a combat soldier in a firefight think about the whole time? Am I gonna see my family again? Am I gonna see my children, my wife? Am I gonna be buried in this desert? And then suddenly he said, the tide turned and our side began to win. Then I saw a sight that I never forgot. The enemy turned and ran. And it was at that moment, he said, that I realized for eight hours, every muscle in my body was tense. Until then, because that was when I knew I was not going to die that day. And he said, my muscles relaxed and a shout came out of me, a shout of victory that was so loud and so deep and so profound that it took all of my body, all of my strength, it came out of me. Every molecule of me was a shout of victory. I believe 
that we need to have the joy of our salvation restored to us. The day when the devil turned and left us. So look, I don't want a cheap one. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, hold it. It says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Why did you tell that story? Because that's what the psalmist was speaking of. He was speaking of that shout that only a combat soldier knows. It's higher than an athletic victory. It's beyond any other kind of shout. It was what Joshua thought the Jews were shouting down when they were debasing themselves. And he asked Moses, is that the shout of victory? Is that the shout of defeat? No, it is the shout of those that play. I don't like the way we sing in church today because it's not deep enough. I like the old hymns because ours are too repetitious. I sat on a plane next to a man flying into Nashville and I, he was a Christian and I, I'm flying in and I asked him, what do you do for a living? He said, I write worship choruses. I write worship choruses. I write worship choruses. I write worship choruses. Amazing grace. You're not helping me enough today, you know. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. No, you're not saying. Was blind, but now. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God. How many of you let me talk to you a little bit today, will you? I want you to be seated. I want you to fasten your seatbelt. I was raised in the ghetto. I'm going to admit it. I was raised in the barrio, not, not just the ghetto, the barrio. And you know when you're raised in the barrio, the house next door to you is painted mint green. This is going to age, tell you your age, by the way. The phone bill it was in the name of the baby. <laughs> and in the ghetto, there's one thing that's true, and I'm going to tell you, but before I do, I'm going to leave that one hanging over here. I'm going to come over here. I want all of you to look at me. There are two events coming that I want you to pray for me. How many of you will pray for me? Now, if you don't, I'm going to be upset, but you've got to pray for me. One is the Hertz Arena where Lance and I are launching a new ministry called Fire and Glory. And we're taking it into the arenas. This particular arena has 8,000 seats. We already have 4,000 registered. But we believe it's going to be a part of the great third wave. The second, 
I want you to pray for me about is a tent crusade that will begin on November 14th in Sacramento, California. We are going to the state capital of California with the largest army to ever invade the gangs, the inner city, the homeless. We're gonna win them in Jesus' name. Now, will you pray for us? As I sat in the sessions here and listened to what I believe is one of the finest collections of teachers and preachers I have ever heard. Y'all have been spoiled rotten. And uh, I want you to understand that there was something that I learned while I was here. I learned that wisdom would tell me what I can say and what I cannot say. And I'm not here to feel censored because I don't. Brother Andrew has made it incredibly clear to all of us that we obey the spirit of God and speak what we are given. But what I was given is stay out of this and come over here to this. So what is this and what is this? Well, I'm an evangelist, I'm a soul winner. I lead souls to Christ. As I told you in the first session, if you sit on a plane next to me, that's your problem. <laughs> if you carry my bags to my hotel room, that is your problem. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I believe it is the best thing that the human race has ever heard. Now, I'm gonna tell you where I'm going with this. We do not need additional information. One day, Evan Roberts was asked the question about the Welsh revival, why it was mainly outreach, mainly fire of God, and mainly there was hardly any real deep doctrinal teaching. And then he said, Wales has been taught to death. It is time to pour gasoline on it and light it on fire. My job today is to take everything that we heard from all of the David Barton, from Lance Walnow, from our brother who just delivered this marvelous word, Eric Metaxas and the rest, and if I leave anybody out, forgive me. I am here to set you on fire. Now look at me. I'm not just an evangelist. Here's where it gets scary. I found out what I was one day when the NBC News came to my house. You know, and they didn't tell me. It was like the FBI, they don't tell you. So they came and knocked on my door and they said, now, we want to ask you a question because Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart had just fallen morally and thank God both were restored. Now, they said they were gonna ask me a question. Question number one, are you a charismatic or are you a Pentecostal? All right. I'm Latino and German. They said that doesn't help. That doesn't, no, no. I'm, I want you to understand, I'm Latino and German. My Latino side yelled inside of me to the NBC person in my thought, kill them, kill them now, kill them now.
because we Latinos are emotional. <laughs> well, then the German side of me is very calculating and, and logical and reserved. And the German side said, control your emotions. So you can think of ways to kill him. <laughs> now you have your cultural lesson. Now, she said in a really arrogant voice, well, what are you? A charismatic or a Pentecost? I go, which one sounds more dangerous? She said, Pentecostal sound. Well, then I'm a Pentecostal. Here I am today, a Pentecostal tent revivalist. I'm not a dinosaur. I'm not obsolete. I'm armed and dangerous. I haven't even gotten started yet. And I'm here to tell you something. We are going to tear the devil's lips off over America. Somebody help me. Hallelujah. Don't you dare be putting a weapon like that in front of me. All it's going to do is make me worse. I'm going to, I don't know what I can tell you right now. It's, I, for a second, I almost felt sorry for the devil. But I'm over it. I'm over it. I have one of the most respected high school diplomas in California. And I was leading a student ministry at the University of California, Berkeley, when I got a letter from a sociology professor who had several degrees, had written four best-selling books, and decided that because so many students had been saved, that he should debate me on the reality of Christianity. At Wheeler Hall, which was the prime piece of property for the School of Journalism. Yeah. I wrapped up that paper as fast as I could. I said, I'm never going to do it. And I threw it in the air. And while the ball of paper was in the air, the Holy Spirit said, you're going. There I was, he got up. I'm gonna tell you, I never saw anything like it in my 700 students waiting like at an execution. He went first, that's gonna figure into this sermon later. He went first and surgically destroyed everything I believed. Destroyed everything I believed. Help me somebody, he took a scalpel and named every pope, every corrupt evangelist, every corrupt doctrine. He showed this and that and the other. He was immaculate. And then he said that I was a fool. All right, you know what you don't know about the inner city and those that live there do? It is not when the guy you're about to fight says, yo mama, that starts the fight. 
It's the guy standing back that goes, ooh! I didn't prepare anything. I didn't know what I was gonna say. And he said that, and the Holy Ghost behind me went, ooh! That's what I want in this conference. The devil said your church isn't gonna grow. Your election isn't gonna win. Your money isn't gonna come in. You're not gonna get what you want. All that's been said this week is not gonna change America. And the Holy Ghost is standing behind us saying, ooh, and let's start the fight. How many of you like to know what happened at the debate? No, you know, it's getting late. You've heard enough preaching to... The Lord said, ask them a question. And so I asked the audience a question. How many of you in this school of journalism, because you're writers, would like to write a bestseller? All the hands went up. I said, Lord, that's not enough. I need another, what, where are we going with this? I'm, di I'm dying right here. I said, now ask them how many of them believe that they will write a bestseller? How many of you believe you will write a bestseller? Out of 700, maybe 50, 60 hands. And then I stopped and I brought up what I'm gonna bring up to you, L. Ron Hubbard. The man who started Scientology on a bet in a bar in London that he could start a religion, and he did. They got so famous and so rich that they decided to build a cavern in the ground, many hundreds of feet in the ground, in order to build vaults out of stainless steel and then take plastic uh, bomb-proof containers, then laser the writings of L. Ron Hubbard on these titanium plates, put them in the jar made out of space-age plastic, seal them, put them in the vault several hundred feet in the ground. And I told them that because that's how long ago this was that they did this. I said, why did they do that? Why did they do, why did they spend millions of dollars to do that? And then I said, before I answer that, how many of you in this room believe that you are going to write a bestseller that will continue to sell long after you're dead? I didn't even let him stop. Long after every generation is dead, long after everything is over, those writings are still alive. Scientology doesn't believe that. They don't believe that L. Ron Hubbard's words are rust-proof, bomb-proof, culturally-proof. They had to dig a hole. Jesus never wrote anything down. 
I said, now I want to look at you for a moment because my brother in his Brioni suit with all his degrees, none of what he said is relevant. None of it is relevant. Why did Jesus say heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away? Now I'm not, oh, now hold it. I ain't going to get a cheap one out of you today. I looked at him and I said, the fact that Christ could predict that his words would be the perennial bestseller as long as there was a human race destroys every argument of this man. And then I began to shout a little bit. How many ever felt like shouting? And I'm gonna try it now and see what happens. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Oh yeah. I'm gonna try it again. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. The most vocal critic of the Bible in the Enlightenment period was Voltaire. He was so angry at the Bible that he said the most vicious, obscene, and abusive things anyone has ever said about the Bible and about Jesus and about, he's even worse than Stephen Colbert. <laughs> and then he said near his death, 50 years after I die, there won't be a Bible in Europe. What he didn't know is that he had friends that lived in Romania. He stayed at their house many times. And they were a family that were very wealthy and they covered for him. But what they didn't bargain for is that after he died, they died and the son took over and was radically saved. <laughs> took the house that Voltaire lived in turned it into a Bible distribution center. I'm gonna try it again. See if I can get some Pentecostal rid. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not shout unto God with the voice of God. Can I shift gears a little bit? One day, a terrorist, a gangster, a villain, a demonic man named Nahash the Ammonite invaded Jabesh Gilead, which was a Jewish outpost cut off from the rest of Israel. And if you want to understand woke, it is embodied in every word that Nahash the Ammonite said to the people because they had no hope to fight him. They would not survive the single battle against him. They were so outnumbered. So the elders of Jabesh Gilead walked out and surrendered and said, we're gonna allow you to enslave us. Let us live, but we're your slaves. That was never enough for Nahash the Ammonite. It wasn't enough. He was spoiling for a fight. And his hatred was so unbridled, so complete, that he said this, 
no, I'm not going to let you be enslaved to me. Because here was the second addendum to their request. We'll be your slaves. Just give us seven days, one week. Let us choose spokesmen who will go over to Gibeah of Saul and ask for help. And he said, okay, on one condition, that after seven days, I want you to come out and I'm going to gouge out your right eye and I'm going to disfigure you. And he did it because he wanted to shame Israel. Today, we have heard a lot. Yesterday, today, and in this conference, we've heard a great deal about what woke is doing to America. But we are never going to change it until we get to the level of understanding how brutally evil it is. When an obese man, let me say it again, when an obese man with a beard in a dress is reading to children, and the adults, allegedly parents, are have that, that distant gleam of somebody with counterfeit illumination, is staring, realizing this is being done to disfigure childhood. Not just emotionally, but now surgically. It's not for the children. Those children have been sacrificed at the altar of the well-being of the obese man. That's how evil it is. And when I talk to a person that can openly confess that they're a Democrat and not mutter it, I tell them that I know Trump offends you. I know his tweets offended you. But here's what you're about. And you can't escape this. You can't dress this up. No matter what you do, you can't, you can't put lipstick on a pig and change what it is. You are about the total and complete disfigurement of the children of America. We heard about how they want to kill them after they're born. Now even so later, teachers, massive numbers of teachers ask a child every day now. They're instructed to do this. The child arrives, kindergarten, first grade, third grade, whatever. What do you feel like today, boy or girl? What do you feel? What do you think you are? What would you like to be called? Second, don't tell your parents what you've decided to call yourself. So now I heard from Shannon Grove, state senator from the state of California. She texted me and said, please pray for me. Virtually every bill before us in California is to empower the state against parents. So now, here's what happened. Nahash the Ammonite has disfigured, decided to disfigure Jabesh Gilead. The devil's doing that to America. I want to destroy marriage. I want to destroy morality. I want to destroy, destroy, destroy. I want to tear it all down. Until you face that, absorb that, live that, breathe that, you can't come up against this enemy. You have no right to. It is the complete and total 
embracing of the degree of evil that is before us that will finally do the job. You know, it's funny, Martin Luther said, I do my best work when I'm mad. I do my best writing when I'm mad. My mind is clearer when I'm mad. So here's the question I'm gonna ask you today. And you know what I know? I'm not preaching in the choir today. Many, many people, because of the enormous influence of Andrew Womack Ministries and the growing audience of Truth and Liberty, thousands beyond these walls are gonna hear what I'm about to say. And here's what I'm gonna say. What kind of man would you choose to go to Gibeah of Saul? You're not gonna choose the Christian motivational speaker because their very presentation is, de is denying what's going on. Can you imagine the average Christian motivational speaker who when he speaks, you don't know when it's him and when it's a fortune cookie. That man is going to get someone to come back and save your children. Who are you gonna stand? Hi, my name, I'm gonna make up a name for a preacher, Steve Stunning. I'm Steve Stunning, God loves you just the way you are. You can't imagine how much he loves you. Hey, we need some help over here. It's not gonna work. You can't send a theologian because the group won't understand it. Who did they pick? I'm gonna say this. They're going to pick men who can bring back an army with them. Now I'm gonna say this. We don't need a crowd. We need the audience to turn into an army. We need the spectators to turn into soldiers. We need to be galvanized. We need everything. Nothing is going to stick from this week unless we have whatever they had because when they arrived at Gibeah of Saul, it says in 1 Samuel 11, verse six and seven, that Saul was out in the field plowing and he heard wailing. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember weeping in church before we outlawed it. Yeah. Weeping, wailing in church. Saul is out there plowing with his prize oxen and he hears this noise. And the noise that he hears, I'm gonna make this real quick, is the people crying out to God, sobbing over the story they've heard. Now of all the things that I wanna change about American Christianity, here it is right here. Of all the things that I beg you to be different than the others, that I beg you to let go of, how is it that the American Christian church cannot reach the appropriate level of outrage over what's going on in our country? Because what they are doing to our children is exactly what is in this story in 1 Samuel 11. When they got there, the people were wailing. And the Bible tells us that Saul heard it and he asked the question, why are the people weeping? Now I'm gonna destroy a theology. I love doing this part. This is my favorite part. Everybody smile at me. How many of you still love me? Even though do you? This is the part I love. 
We have a real fear of preachers when they get angry. We have a real penchant for loving on and encouraging the ones that are soothing. He bothers me, that bothers me. I don't like what he said, it bothers me. But here's the undercurrent of it. It bothers you because you want the illusion to continue. I'm gonna try that again. I worked that in front of a mirror. I thought I, my movement was gonna get you all excited. Instead, I went over like a pregnant pole vaulter. The reason repentance bothers the American audience, the reason that urgency bothers the American Christian audience, the reason a man like me is written off as being an angry rebel is because they want the illusion to be maintained. Now, when they said that to the people, they couldn't color it, they couldn't break it down, they couldn't put a positive spin on it, and we still have to realize, we are at the moment in American history where we are all in. We are either going to see a victory or we are going to cease to exist as a free people. It's now or never. Somebody clap real loud. It's now or never. It's now or never. It's now or never. This is it. Why did God kill Ananias and Sapphira in church? I like these uplifting statements, you know. Let's talk about God killing people in church for a second because we're all in a good mood. The church had just been told they couldn't preach the gospel anymore. The church had just been told it was over. And Ananias and Sapphira lived in a parallel universe. That's what you're fighting. Our enemy isn't in Washington alone. It's in every lukewarm church in America. It's in every pulpit where self-preservation has gripped the man of God who is saying, if I say that, it'll divide my church. If I do that, I will lose people. But you don't understand. You are nothing but the best party going on the deck of the Titanic. You're about to lose a nation. You're about to lo lose your people. You're about to lose everything. And I, for one, am gonna tell you now, they are not gonna get my children. They are not gonna get my family. They are not gonna get my freedom. They're not gonna have it. Hallelujah. Now I want you to relive the moment with me. Saul has come from the field. He's standing in front of the men of Jabesh Gilead. And they say to him, he asks the question, why are the people weeping? Then the explanation comes. The reaction of the people was to cry. When Saul heard it, the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he burned with anger. That is not one of the current listed fruits of the spirit. 
but to deny the possibility of it, to deny the possibility that in the next few months, unknown preachers are gonna rise up and point a finger that's prophetic, not like the toy prophets that are so popular today, not people talking about nonsense or predicting nonsense. True prophets of God are about to come and they're gonna look like lions, not babysitters. And they're not gonna compromise. And they're gonna get up in the name of Jesus. You with me? In this moment, when the Spirit of God came on Saul and it said he burned with anger. Believe me, that's not appropriate today. That's not an acceptable emotion for a preacher. It's illegal. If you say that, that's possibly even God. But every single person seated before me is living in the sunshine of a blessing bought by a vessel of God that got angry at the right time. Everyone here is. And I've had it. I've had it. I'm done. I'm not going to be polite anymore. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. That's why the media won't come after me because they know that I am not the church of Oprah. I'm not going to do that. I'm not there. I'm going to say it like it is. This nation was founded under the word of God, by the power of God. And the only way it's going to survive is by getting back what we've lost. You stole it, God's going to get it back for us. Now, he took a sword and cut his prize oxen. Said he cut them up in pieces. I did a little research. I talked to people in the know. A prize oxen is big. You know, uh, there's a head of a buffalo here in the lodge. When you look at it and you realize that's not Bambi. <laughs> that thing is huge. While it's still alive, the same power of anger came on Saul and he supernaturally cut up the oxen into pieces, put it on carts and sent it throughout Israel. And he said these words, whoever does not join the battle, such will I do to their sheep and their oxen. For Saul to cut up a prize oxen is the equivalent today of a televangelist taking a chainsaw to his Rolls Royce and send pieces everywhere. Like, this doesn't satisfy me anymore. This isn't enough. See, I'm word of faith. Look at me. I'm word of faith. And for many times, we look at Brother Hagen through a filter, and we don't realize what he really meant and what he was really. The prosperity message was not born in prosperity. It was born in the Great Depression. He did not want faith to be a materialistic message. He never wanted that. Everybody that ever told you that was just too lazy. He didn't believe that the object of faith at that time was just for money, and that's the case. It is. It is a part. Prosperity is one of God's blessings. And until we don't have bills to pay, I thank God that he gives us money. Second, healing. 
the ability to say by his stripes, we are healed. How many of you believe in healing? A very well-known evangelist who had gone through a season where he believed in faith and then suddenly lost his faith in faith had just come back from a large crusade in the Philippines and he made the mistake of having dinner with me. And, and he's, we're sitting there and he goes, you know, my brother, I could not preach prosperity while I was in the Philippines. I said, why? He said, well, they were so poor. So I looked at him and I said, well, did you also not preach healing because they were too sick? You see, faith, prosperity, Healing are all biblical truths. What I'm trying to say is nothing against faith, but what our faith is for now. And that's what happened. Saul is standing there, they're crying. They said, they're gonna destroy our children. And the people wept, but Saul is standing there and the Holy Spirit is behind him. And he goes, That's when he went into being a butcher. That's when the pieces went out on carts. And that's when 350,000 soldiers were galvanized in a day. I have a late news bulletin for the devil. I know the church is divided. I know the church is lukewarm. I know the church looks harmless to you, Satan. I know that you believe right now you've got it. You've got America, you've got it sewn up but you don't understand the God who comes out of nowhere. Look, listen to me. I'm gonna tell you there is a God that could unify hundreds of thousands of Christians overnight, overnight. This. This con convention, this conference alone has the firepower to go out in the airwaves and people will watch this video and watch our brother's video and all that have spoken here and suddenly you'll feel the oxen being cut up and the pieces go out and you'll understand we can no longer be the fools, the clowns, the bystanders, the also ran. We are gonna wake up now and in the name of Jesus, we're gonna take this nation back. We're gonna take it back. In Bible school, they don't teach you how to end a sermon. That's why so many people do it wrong. But I want to ask you a question, closing this conference and closing our time together. Somehow it's got to get in us 
And it got in me one day. It just got in me. Norman Schwarzkopf was going to speak to the largest contingency of soldiers ever to be moved. For Desert Storm, the United States military moved the largest number of personnel and equipment in the shortest amount of time in the history of the world. And this seemingly endless number of soldiers are at attention in the desert. And Norman Schwarzkopf, and I've got a bowl of popcorn and that was a mistake, he gets up to speak. And he looks at the men and he says, you soldiers have the best battle strategy ever put together in American history. And you can see their eyes get big. He said, your battle strategy has been created by the finest military minds in the world. And I'm sitting there, I put my bowl aside, I stand at attention. He said, the weapons that you have are the most advanced and powerful weapons of any army that has ever marched in the history of the world. Whew, I threw that popcorn across the room. How many of you feel something here when I'm talking? Then he said, you have received the most excellent military training that any soldiers have ever received. And then he said, you are the finest fighting army America has ever known. Man, I was ready. I was, I was looking at United Airlines. Somehow, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of our success at the end of this is tied to one single fact. The devil's power to put unbelief. I told you that I believe in faith. I believe in prosperity. I believe in healing. And it took the early pioneers of the faith message a great degree of courage to face the onslaught. And they were persecuted. We don't understand what they went through. We don't understand what the early Pentecostals went through. We don't because we're too far detached from the controversy. All of the insidious things that would be said. But of all the things that Brother Hagen was trying to tell us, this is the most astounding feature. You have the best weapons that any army has ever had. I, do you see it? Am I blowing smoke or do you, do you see what I'm saying right here? He would hold up the Bible. This is the greatest military strategy that any army has ever been given. You have the finest weapons. You have the best plan. You have the captain, the Lord Jesus Christ who only understands one thing, victory, victory, victory. You're not a ragtag, you're not a fool. You're not walking in to that school board meeting as an intruder and an unwanted guest. You're coming in as the power and the word of God. The next time that you pastor stand in your pulpit, there may be some deacons you need to fire. Your church may be deacon possessed. 
There may be some people you need to shut up because you, sir, can no longer esteem yourself sir or sister. You can no longer esteem yourself a counselor, a therapist, a peacemaker, and, and a, a supervisor or a playground monitor. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. And you're not to have a congregation that saps the life out of you. It's time for you to get up in front of them and say, you know what? I don't belong to you. I belong to him. And not only do I belong to him, my wife belongs to him. My husband belongs to him. My children belong to him. And I'm going to preach what he tells me. Because in this hour, you don't need a sissy pastor. You need a lion. You need a man of... What I'm trying to tell you is that faith became something it wasn't perceived before when the Spirit of God fell on Saul and turned him into another man and turned him into this general and this fighter and the fire of God rose up in him and said, nothing is gonna stop me. I'm gonna be a threat to everyone who is compromised. I don't like the enemy and I don't like the traitors. I don't like either one. What I like is those who are standing and speaking and opposing. I gotta finish, I've gone way too long. Now, and this moment, faith. I once claimed a car. I claimed a wife. I claimed a house. I claimed money. I claimed healing, but now my claims have got to go higher. I've got to claim other things. I've got to claim that devils will be cast out in the name of Jesus. I've got to claim that those who serve Satan are gonna be voted out in place of those that are sent by God. I gotta have faith, I gotta have faith. Glory to God! Glory to God! Faith! Listen to me. You better get ready to shout right now. We gotta have faith that they will never lock down your church ever again. They will not pervert their children. Father, you know I did what I could and I said what I could, but now I'm gonna pray over these people and I'm gonna ask you, God, to let the fire of God, I feel like Elijah on Mount Carmel. How long are you gonna stand in the middle? How long are you gonna be on the fence? How long are you going to halt between two opinions? It's time to burn out Baal in America. We gotta burn him out. We can't just vote him out, we gotta burn him out. And Lord, Elijah stood there. Everybody raise your hands to heaven. Elijah stood there at the time of the evening sacrifice and he said, Lord, let these people know that I have done these things by your hand and your will.
and let them know that you are turning their hearts back to you. And the Bible says the fire fell. The fire fell on the altar and it licked up the stones and everyone fell on their face and declared the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he has got reverence and fear and needs to come back to America. Holiness needs to come back to America. With your hands raised, the Holy Spirit told me that at the end of my sermon, he was gonna fall on all the people and he was gonna give them a fresh anointing and he was gonna take those that are the most anointed and give them an even more of an anointing. And he was going to do something where all your fear, all your doubt, all your confusion, all of your lack of courage, all of your hesitancy, everything in you that isn't ready is gonna get burned out right now. The prayer that we're about to pray and then we're all gonna pray in tongues and then fire is gonna fall on this congregation. And let me tell you, it's not gonna fall because of Mario's holiness. Not gonna be fall because I've suggested it. Not gonna be to fall on you because I am somebody. I am nothing without Christ. It's gonna fall on you because he told me it would and I believe him. Now, when that fire begins to fall on you, I want you to ignore your neighbor. It doesn't matter. We're all mature here. We all love God here. There's gonna be a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire come on you. And that anointing, that fire, that glory, according to Acts chapter four. Lord, look at the threat and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may preach your word. While you stretch out your hand to heal and let signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, America's in trouble. America's in trouble. Oh God, whatever they had at Azusa Street, we need it. Whatever Finney had, we need it. Whatever they had in the upper room, we need it. Oh God, we need it so bad. We need the Holy Spirit to fall on us and fall on us with such total, complete fervor that we will never be the same. Begin praying in tongues and receive from the fire of Almighty God right now. Louder, even louder. Pray. For your children, for your church, for your nation. Fire, fire of the Holy Spirit. Resendo boria recabare di aratoia. I andale de che sindoro corroia le besede. Corra va sindere di di aratoia. That's not emotion, that's the power of God. That's not your emotion, that is the power of God. Receive it, receive it. Receive it. Receive him.
Can you give the King of Kings a mighty shout of praise and clap your hands right now? My brother, would you come? Praise God. How many of you know you've been to, you met the Lord today, huh? There's one piece missing. Sorry, there's one piece missing. And it's that repentance piece. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Will you guys pray with me for a second? Just, you know, when you read uh, Nehemiah, they came to him, the people from Jerusalem came and Nehemiah asked him, What's the condition of the city? And they told him. And he was broken in his heart and he responded by praying and he prayed on behalf of the nation. Well, we're gathered here today and I think that God will hear us if we pray on behalf of the church in America. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, God, you are merciful. You are mighty and you are just. Father, we acknowledge that we have sinned, that we have hardened our hearts to your voice. The church has hardened its heart to your voice. Father, we repent. Our life is in you. It is not in this world. So God, it doesn't matter what price has to be paid. We step forward today into the gap and we are willing to pay any price to save this nation, to do whatever must be done. Let it fall on us, God. We give ourselves to you for that purpose. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sins. We know you have. And we believe that we receive a restoration and an outpouring of your glory in this nation that is greater than anything that has ever been seen before. And we are your instruments, Lord. Reveal to us our place on the wall. And we commit that we will obey your voice, whatever that might be. In the name of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Well, God loves you, and he loves your families, and he loves America, and he loves the world, and he's called you and empowered you, so go forth and do the work of the Lord. Amen? Andrew? Just one last word. I was praying about God. How do you end this? And the Lord said, don't end it. This is just the start. Amen. Amen. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. After they prayed, the place was shaken. They went out and spoke the word with boldness. So we're just now getting started. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. We love you. Hey, a few reminders, guys. You can still order a copy of the conference at the product table if you haven't done that yet. Uh, the cafes are open, bookstores, product, everything. When you're leaving, remember two lanes to the right, two lanes to the left. God bless you.